Welcome to Outside the Box, the official podcast here at thefeed.com. We're here at the Feed headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. This is John Franklin, and today we're visiting with Ted King. Hi, Ted. How do you do, John? Ted is a former pro cyclist and co-founder of Untapped Maple. Uh, they make maple syrup packets as well as a maple waffle, both amazing ride food that we all eat here at the feed with aggression. Or I don't know if aggression is the right word, but... No, that's just a sign you're really getting after it. I like that. In other words, we're frequently eating those items. So before we kind of jump in and, and talk about untapped and everything you're up to, Ted, tell us about what we're sipping on right now. Well, it is the holidays. Um, and so right now we are doing an untapped whiskey mashup. It's happy hour here at the Feed World HQ. And so what we've basically done is the most basic cocktail you can do. Take an untapped maple packet, pour in, what are we, we have, we have four drinks going right now. Not, on, not, not for each. I'm, I'm we on. have, we have other people in, you know, on the feed team here that are enjoying yes. it. We're not having four drinks each. That is a great qualifier. Um, we have four. So, okay. A quarter ounce per pour of whiskey, uh, maple and whiskey are a great one, two combo. And I thought no better time, no better place than doing that right now. And that's partially uh, in part because this week we're doing a hashtag maple cocktail Instagram game, um, all leading up to December 17th's National Maple Syrup Day, which outside of December 25th is most people's favorite holiday in December. Where will you be on National Maple Syrup Day? Oh, man, the greatest day of the year. Um, More importantly, what will you be doing to be a good steward of maple syrup? Where I'll be is up in the air. Um, To be a good steward, I will be dousing whatever I do in maple syrup um, and probably watching Wedding Crashers. I I don't know if you mentioned it, but the garnish Uh for the drink, um, I noticed there's some garnish. What is that? That is actually our, our... untapped maple waffle um a great addition we we broke them into half into twain and use that as our stir stick um leaving a little bit of crumbs but again catch a little flack for it here and there about how much i say maple syrup pairs well with insert item here but maple and whiskey are a great one-two combo and maple and waffles are obviously a fantastic combo making that trifecta just like a match made in heaven awesome well the drink is uh the drink is delicious Oh, thank you. So, um, you recently retired from uh, the world tour um, in pro cycling, um, traveling all across the world. Um, just going back to how you got into cycling, tell us about how you started in cycling and how it ended up becoming the sport of choice over everything else that you had available in Vermont. Um. I got into cycling not until college. I went to college at Middlebury College. I was a freshman at the time. Uh, Fast forward a few months and I realized that, okay, I like sports still. Uh, Maybe athletics and academics are an easy thing to balance with cycling. And so I got into it through my older brother, Robbie. Um, That's the cute full entry story. Um, I raced. Bike racing was my first job straight out of school. I graduated in 2005 and was racing a bike immediately thereafter. Um, 
did three years domestic racing and I mean what I will explain is I just sort of I got it I mean I was a fledgling first year uh, Neo Pro I was okay second year and by the third year I just got it and so I was uh, the top ranked American in 2008 catching the attention of the uh, Cervelo test team which was upstart team with the likes of Tor Hushoft and Carlos Sastra uh, did two years with Cervelo test team and then went to Cannondale Liquid Gas which became Cannondale Pro Cycling which uh, was my final year in 2015. And tell us about the decision to retire and how that was for you. Um, difficult, easy, what are the things you miss? Um, so I retired at the end of 2015 and I knew that I wanted to do that backtrack eight months. Um, it was about February 2015, I was at a team camp. The team at that point had just merged with uh, Garmin. So Cannondale Pro Cycling was this, you know, very American team after having spent a lot of years with uh, quintessentially Italian teams. I mean, I say that because I, I, in 2015, I couldn't have been happier when I made that decision. Um, but I basically looked back and I said, I've raced for 10 years. I've done everything I want to do in the sport, raced Grand Tours, uh, Spring Classics, World Championships, just virtually done everything I wanted to do. And cycling is a cruel sport and it's often torn from the athlete. Um, so I didn't want to look back sort of angrily saying, okay, I had a bad year, I, I didn't get a contract, I, I'm injured, um, whatever it is. So, you know, my point is like, to go out on top as happy as I could be was, was just the perfect ending. So, 10 years later, after I started my pro cycling career, I called it a career. Awesome. So when you look back at those 10 years, what's one kind of life lesson that, that you take away from that experience kind of big picture when you think about living a good life and um, looking back and being proud of what you've done and and what you want to do in the future? Oh man, oh man, oh man. Um, I would say that it would be boiled down to the word balance. Um, Look under the microscope at at professional cycling. Like I would perform my best at a global picture, which is a funny thing to say when you're looking under a microscope. Um, When I had things in balance, when I had my life in balance, when I had my, my training in balance, my diet in balance and everything in balance as opposed to there's an insustainability when you when you focus too much on one particular thing and sort of lose sight of uh everything else everything else might seem peripheral at that point but you know in reality like life is a balance um so sure you can on the tangible level you can have a you know great deal of success on the bike and really focus on your training and, and diet and so forth but then lose sight of the family lose sight of uh you know, your friends or, or real life, whatever is going on around you. And then vice versa, you can focus exclusively on your family, friends and, and you know, well-being of that group, but then lose your, your training and lose your uh, attention there. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, having it all, just being being able to look at the 35,000 foot view all the time. When you look back on the, the suffering that takes place in the sport of cycling especially with all the training that has to be done alone maybe in foul weather do you miss that and (laughs) and what are what are some of the what are the what are the things you learned in those in those moments of pain um yeah that takes a tremendous amount of discipline to gear up and put on all the neoprene and gore-tex and head out the door um i i don't miss it i don't miss the pain and the suffering i still ride a bike all the time i ride a bike probably six and a half days a week i mean i we can get into this later, but I'm, I call it a professional retiree. Like I'm still in the sport of cycling. Um, it's a lot fewer intervals and a lot more fun. It's it's funny because 
the first day it rained and I knew that I didn't have to go for a bike ride. I went for a bike ride because I wanted to go for a bike ride. Um, so yeah, I don't miss you know going out in 33 degrees and it's raining and uh, you know you have to bang out X, Y, and Z interval. I like going out when it's raining with some buddies and being like, this is crazy. We're going to commiserate in this together. Um, so yeah, not doing those things is certainly more peaceful um, and probably better for my health. And I forget part B of that question. Say that again. I don't remember either. Nice. But I did have another question. Please. Which is, you you said you're a professional retiree. Yes, sir. What are the day-to-day demands of that (laughs) position? I knew I was going to retire in February of last year. I happened to announce it uh, the week leading up to Tour California, which was May of that year. Um... And some, I mean, honestly, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. I have a degree in economics, and I thought maybe I would somehow pursue finance or something like that, which is what most people from my college do. But I'm 10 years removed from academia, so that didn't seem like the most relevant. And I feel like I've created a lot of social equity in the sport of cycling, so I wanted to use that. So over those few months after announced retirement, I started working with a handful of sponsors that had supported the teams that I was on. So, you know, Cannondale, SRAM, Zip, Pac. Um, those all came to the forefront and they, they said, look, we like, we like your voice. We like your voice in this sport of cycling. Um, there's a new, the timing couldn't be better. There's a new outlet and avenue for cycling on the, uh, slightly grittier scale. I mean, rather than just being the road world of pro bike racing, it's gravel rides, it's fondos, it's adventure rides, it's riding for the sake of riding. Um, and so the timing couldn't be better for me to get into that sort of thing. What is it? What does an average weekday look like for you? Well, um, I'm still an early riser. It was funny, like as a pro bike racer, see, I'm a morning person, but as a pro bike racer, you wouldn't wake up at six in the morning or five in the morning or four and change in the morning to go bang out a bike ride. Now that I'm, my cohorts and fellow bike riders are of the early morning uh, denomination, then yeah, there's times that I'm waking up at five in the morning to go get a bike ride in with some with some friends. Again, no intervals. Uh, often they'll be able to ride for, call it 90 minutes or less. And so I might do those 90 minutes and then go on another hour or two bike ride. And I have an office uh, in Gamba. is a great cycling tour company. Uh, I'm really good friends with the, and former teammates with the owner, Joao Correa. That's in Sausalito, right down the road from where I'm living. So I share an office space there. And yeah, there's a lot of time spent behind a computer screen. I mean, I, I do a lot of writing for either sponsors or endemic uh, outlets. There's a lot of coordination. I mean, I'm on my own travel agent, I'm my own secretary. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people look at my Strava and say, good grief, all you do is ride your bike and that's it. And I, I running a business is no easy task either. Let's talk about maple syrup for a second. Oh, that'd be an honor. Actually, let's talk about it for more than a second. I want you to tell me in, when you really search deep inside your soul, how do you feel about the flavor of maple syrup? Like, what does oh. eating maple syrup, especially maybe when you've been away from it for a while, what does it bring up for you? Everything's relative, so I don't know how long it is that I've been away from maple syrup for a while, which I say in air quotes. Admittedly, maple syrup is something of an obsession of mine, and it all stems to when I was about six years old, maybe younger, my mom's best friend's father, who was sort of a grandfather figure to me, would make maple syrup in the forests and mountains of northern New Hampshire. I mean, the process is absolutely beautiful. You go 
to these, you go to basically a cabin in the middle of the woods in the late spring, uh, sorry, late winter, early spring, and there's, you walk inside, there's a boiler, you're boiling sap down to maple syrup, and it's just, it's in the air, it's, it penetrates every sense that you have. I mean, you hear it, you see it, you smell it, you taste it. Honestly, the word, to backtrack to the question, is ethereal. Like, it is so heavenly, mm. <laughs> and it backtracks to that, that time in my life. Um, and so, sorry, he would... <laughs> He would literally give us a glass, he'd dip it in the boiler, he would pull out probably 8, 10, 12 ounces of maple syrup, and we would drink that. And it's like hot, boiling hot, fresh maple syrup is the greatest thing on earth. So, yeah, I take that with me every time I take a taste of maple syrup. So you are never, will you take that memory, do you literally always take maple syrup with you also? Uh... 98% of the time and then it's that 2% that'll just drive me nuts and you know you'll you'll I do travel with it all the time which is the convenience of the untapped maple packet uh, not just for athletics but also great for for travel I mean I had it with me all day today um, you know I put it in your coffee or you know put it on your oatmeal when you're traveling put it on pancakes if you ever have a mishap my mom puts it on her ice cream oh my word vanilla yeah, I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. I joke about how well it pairs with everything. Vanilla ice cream, maple syrup, dear readers, listeners, you're welcome. We're drinking, um, if you've just tuned in or fast-forwarded the recording <laughs> that you're listening to, we are drinking High West whiskey mixed with untapped maple syrup, and it's really good. Um, I'm usually not one for mixing anything with the whiskey, but I highly recommend it. It's about as clean as it gets. I mean, it's this would be good with an ice cube. This would be good with a uh, orange peel, but that combo is killer. Which brings up a good story. Do you have time for a story, John? Yes. Okay. So there I am in Pescadero, California, which is about... Mm, on this particular day, I'm riding my bike from Mill Valley, which is just north of San Francisco, to Santa Cruz, which is south of San Francisco. So we're on, like, call it a five-hour bike ride. And we go to Pescadero, which is famous for its artichoke bread. Again, dear listeners, please go there and try their artichoke bread. Um, we roll in our small group, and someone immediately recognizes me and starts talking. And I'm very, I love talking to folks. It was flattering. It's fun to talk to him. And then meanwhile, his buddy rolls by, and he's like, oh, hey, I want you to meet Ted King. He has a maple syrup company. Referring, of course, to Untapped. And this gentleman, who I've just been introduced to, says, oh, that's wild. We mix our whiskey with maple syrup. Um, obviously, this guy, believe it or not, owns a whiskey company because apparently that's a thing if you're in Pescadero. And I said, no way, that's crazy. My maple syrup company mixes with a whiskey company. Um, and by mixes, we... Um, we take the whiskey barrels that have that have distilled their whiskey and then once those are empty we pour maple syrup in them and we let them age for a little bit and what comes out is this um, allow me to use the word ethereal again absolutely delicious ethereal flavor of whiskey flavored maple syrup just like out of this world delicious it's oaky it's it's woody it's those are terrible words to describe it it's so flipping good so okay cut to the chase the dude and that's like a thing. This happens to boutique maple syrup companies, whiskey companies all over the country. This dude is High West Whiskey Company out of Park City, Utah. And I said, yes, we work with High West. He's like, yes, this is my company. So Michael Leventhal, 
if my memory serves me correctly, thank you for making great whiskey. And Untapped appreciates it, and everyone should try it. That's a really cool story about businesses working with other small businesses and kind of making the world smaller. Um, Fact. I think it's uh, in in your transition from an athlete to a businessman. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the what have been some of the lessons for you? What have been some of the really fun? elements of the of the change in career when i hear about the intrepid professional cyclist who retires and starts their own business one thing that you can guarantee is that that cyclist turned business person all they know is hard work like it's effort in result out they know from training and that's it it's a very uh i don't know just super basic mode of operation um it's hard-headedness it's uh a whole lot of hours I mean like from the cycling world you just think that if you train more than the next guy you're gonna have a better result than the next guy and I think a lot of that translates to the business world so yeah I mean it, it hard-headedness and stick-to-itiveness and uh, the ability to have a lot of patience um, and just work through issues has been really valuable um, and then another thing is having a great team around you so I happen to have there's there's effectively three partners at untapped um, one of those partners is four cousins all of whom come from uh, elite alpine skiing and a family with, I mean, a huge legacy of, of Olympic skiing in their uh, family lineage, including Olympic gold medal. So, I mean, it's awesome having the right people around you, having a really good checks and balances system with that sort of thing, um, and just being able to bang ideas off each other and, and you know work through issues together. Bada boom. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell us about the origins of Untapped. Absolutely. So... I can't, there's no one light bulb moment, um, but over my career, you know, I, I, like I said, I lived in the States for three years, or raced in the States for three years, moved to Europe after that. I would literally go to races and get random fans handing me maple syrup, or mailing me maple syrup, or um, just giving me maple syrup, which is a uh, really nice way to accept maple syrup. And I think anyone who's going to give you maple syrup is by and large a trusted individual, so that's a wonderful thing. Somewhere along the line, it might have been the 200, not on 100, where Tim Johnson, fellow New Englander cyclist buddy, and I are riding 200 miles, coincidentally, not on Route 100, ergo the name 200, not on 100. We were on the top of the Kangamangas Highway, and Tim cracked spectacularly. It was terrible. We're 100 miles in, and Tim and I are the ringleaders of this ride, and there's you know, a handful of other people who are sort of dangling on and sucking our wheels. And Tim's cracking. And I'm like, dude, we have another five hours into this 10-hour day. You better suck it up. And lo and behold, we had a um, very generous individual show up at the top of the kank and hand us gift bags. In the gift bag is a tall boy of Moat Mountain beer, which is delicious beer, and a novelty-sized maple syrup. We decided not to drink the beer. Everybody, we are going to stop there anyway, grab a bite to eat, quick snack, blah, blah, blah. Tim chugs his maple syrup, which was awesome. Fast forward an hour, I swear Tim came back from the dead. Like it was just sort of amazing how much energy he got back. Uh, and that was that was probably one uh, that was probably one bulb on the Christmas tree that is the light bulb moment of Untapped. What year is that? Um, the f- that was probably 2012. Okay. Um, so I mean, there were a lot of things. It's like it's recognizing a lot. One part of it was just being tired with traditional energy gels that I, I suffered through a lot of 
through my career. Um, I mean, it becomes monotonous, and, and maple syrup is something that I would like happily grab for in that like the morning of a training ride when I'm in Girona, I pour maple syrup on my coffee, put it on my oatmeal, whatever. It's delicious on everything. Go out for a bike ride. It was thinking of that real organic one ingredient that is loaded with all sorts of benefits that you look for in a sports nutrition com- uh, sports nutrition packet on the bike that I said, oh my gosh, like why doesn't this exist in the in a athletic environment yeah so and that kind of we i think a lot of people think untapped is awesome because it's there's just inherently kind of coolness by putting maple syrup into a packet that you can take with you people think it's funny people think it's cool people think maple syrup brings back a lot of memories and there's nostalgia associated with it but i think we are at the feed are always trying to remind people not only is it great tasting, but there's also real benefits to it. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about, um, all the benefits that, that science has shown and that maybe that you've just found personally in your experience and obviously lifetime of using it? The utility is great, right? I mean, you can take it on a bike ride, you can take it camping, you can, because it belongs on everything when you go camping. Um, including your sleeping bag. So, I mean, that being said, if you, right now, dear listener, if you Google maple syrup sports nutrition, there is a laundry list of results there. I mean, the stuff is, it's real viable sports nutrition, not an amalgamated thing that might come out of a chemist's lab. It is, it's naturally packed with electrolytes, amino acids, antioxidants. There's this general term superfood which I had to Google the other day, and there's no real definition for superfood outside of having antioxidant benefits. There's 54 antioxidants in maple syrup, including one called, I believe, Quebexicum, um, which you might be able to pick up on Quebec in there. Like, as an athlete, those are things you want. As you build up free radicals in your system, you want antioxidants to counteract those. As you work through a really hard training ride, you need to rebuild your muscle that you've completely depleted, and amino acids are a great you know, building block of protein that, that, okay, man, there's no protein in maple syrup, but those are what will help rebuild after a hard effort. Um, I mean, people will often grab a pack of, uh, packet of tap, flip it on the back, look for nutrition packs, and the stuff, those are things you're not going to see. Like, antioxidants aren't a listed thing. Amino acids aren't listed. I often defer to, I mean, say, talk about a... Uh, the fact that it's water soluble and it's that means it's super easy on your stomach like you'll never have gut rot with it it's immediately absorbed into your system it's sucrose which breaks down to glucose and fructose in your in your system so it's like an immediate double dose energy but it's still um it's low glycemic so you don't get like an energy spike and then crash so like your body knows how to process it because it is a natural single ingredient delicious product from a tree and it's awesome that as a uh as a backcountry skier it's awesome that you can pull one out of a backpack three hours into a 20 degree day and have it have the consistency be no different Mm -hmm. no harder i mean obviously it's not going to freeze um just a great side benefit for winter sports yes does not freeze um no exactly right i mean it's the the consistency remains the same throughout uh temperature fluctuations it's delicious have you found uh teammates former teammates people you currently do sports with Mm. have you found people to be easy converts or um we're 
always trying to encourage people to try new things when it comes to sports nutrition mm-hmm. and how have you found the um, challenge of making people try something new to be um, yeah I mean well certainly this is a sidestep from sports nutrition norm um, a great testament is my former teammate no familial relation Ben King he would always explain that he would put his untapped in his dessert pocket so in the cycling jersey you have of course three jersey pockets he would put that in his dessert pocket which means after he's done a ridiculously hard effort or finished a climb or you know gone into a series of attacks when he needs to reward himself he reaches for the untapped it is a reward it is delicious but it still provides all that same nutritional benefit um and you're right i mean it is it takes a lot of conversation with a lot of people so it's fun to go to demo events expos uh it's fun to i mean i just always travel with the stuff and it's fun to explain that yeah this stuff belongs not only in your maple uh on your oatmeal pancakes waffles it belongs in your athletic realm as well but people need to take that mental sidestep and and it takes a fun enriching conversation you guys started out with the maple syrup Mm-hmm. Um, you then did a waffle mm-hmm. and were there any big surprises for the business as you guys because you, you came out of the gates with a hit product and it was because of the your your partner in Vermont who already had the farm you know you knew you had a high quality product this was just kind of repackaging it for a different market for a different purpose um, when you created the waffle how did that go um I guess to say, with coming out of the gates with, with such a strong product, how was it coming out with the second? And how do you kind of prioritize all the options that you have in terms of what you can launch? Um, I think, I mean, our waffle is our answer to a bar. Um, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense given that our first product and everything is based on the maple ethos. Uh, so that was that was easy. That was fun. That was it. Opens up a world of opportunities. I mean, so basically, what I often say is like look what do you put on your waffle on a saturday morning you put maple syrup on it and then what else do you put on it you could also do fruit berries uh lemon nuts i mean so that like it opens up a world of opportunity there what else do you do on a saturday morning when you're having these things is a cup of coffee um and so we are definitely toying in both the packet and the waffle naturally caffeinated waffle and packet with real coffee in it caffeine is when it's boiled boiled down to its most basic element is like a white talcum powder and that gives you a strange high as compared to drinking a cup of coffee like if you have like caffeine pills will give you a different high than if you have a cup of coffee mm-hmm. so we're i mean it's it's more mellow it feels longer it feels easier and that's uh that's the benefit of having the real ingredients which is part of what the untapped ethos is from the beginning yeah so real ingredients um when you guys, when you guys look to or, to what you want to do next, how do you decide when and if something will work? Obviously, you just talked about real ingredients, so that's a big factor. Mm-hmm. Um, does being able to eat it on a bike, for example, is that a requirement? Um, is maple syrup as an ingredient a requirement? I mean, how do you guys think about all the things you could do? Mm-hmm. Where do you? Where do you look for new product development? It has to make sense. And when I talk about the maple, I mean, the maple syrup untapped ethos, it has to fit into the um, very natural realm of things. We're not going to add ingredients arbitrarily. Um, 
Our website is untapped.cc, which does not include the word maple uh, for internally obvious reasons because, I mean, there are a world of opportunities outside of um, outside of maple, but still within that grasp of real food that we're, that we're definitely toying with. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have the two products now, but within the next few, ideally few weeks, uh, most certainly few months, we will have... We will be doubling and then tripling our uh, product offering, which is really exciting for us. And I think it's going to be really exciting for the consumer. When is that? Um, like I said, a few weeks, possibly a few months. I mean, realistically, this time of year is very difficult. Uh, not difficult. It's very busy. Uh, I can win around the holidays, New Year. But most certainly by Q1 2017, we're going to be rocking out with a whole, a whole new lineup. Do you have a really, really vague hint you can give us about that? Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Not wait okay, till Saturday hint. morning. Oh, the That's hint my hint. Saturday morning. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I like Saturday it. Saturday morning, man. Like, what do you have? You have your coffee, you have your pancakes, you have your waffles, you have your maple syrup, you have your fruit. I like it. You, got, you just got a party on Saturday morning. I also know that you've been doing um, some work in the world of cycling philanthropy. Um, from following you on Instagram. Can you tell us a little bit of it about what you've been doing there? Um, most certainly. So the bike has been very generous to me. It's been, you know, it's offered me this, this 10 year career and it's given me, uh, you know, a world of travel, tons of great friends. Um, I met my girlfriend on the bike, believe it or not. So (laughs) the bike has been awesome. Um, my uh, my father had a stroke 13 years ago, and a brain injury is a terrible thing to have happen. Um, and so he goes to an organization back in New Hampshire called the Krempel Center, and that's for adults living with brain injury. And so about oh, six and a half years ago, uh, this gentleman back in New Hampshire, Arlen Chaffee, came to me and said, hey, we wanna, uh, I'd like to team up with you and create an event, and we created the King Challenge which now we've had six editions of the event. We have generated over $600,000 for the Krempel Center, which is still a mind-blowing sum to come out of my mouth for such a, it's, it's boutique. I mean, we have probably, we started with about two, fewer than 200 people, and now we're, we have between three and 400 people that do the ride every year. Um, catering to any and all distances, uh, any and all abilities, we have a variety of distances, um, totally family-friendly event, and that, that is, that one tugs my heartstrings. So King Challenge is awesome. Um, and, and when is that event? That it's always middle of October. I want to say the third Saturday of October. This year was October fifteenth. I want to say it's the nineteenth in twenty seventeen. Awesome. Kingchallenge.org. Um, and another group that I've been working with for nearly a, dec- a decade also is World Bicycle Relief. I mean, I just. I love their their message, the power of the bicycle. I think the bicycle has the ability to uplift communities, societies, people um, of all walks of life. And I just, I've loved their message. Um, so I've worked with them for years and years. Uh, this year I raced Leadville as part of the World Bicycle Relief team. Um, they do tremendous fundraising and, and with, a, with an awesome cause. So that's another great one. Um, yeah, bikes, man, they're awesome. awesome. Um, how was your Leadville experience and do you want to do that again or do you not want to do that again? 
Um, I would like to go back, and I plan on going back. Um, Leadville went well. I finished 11th, and I finished 7 hours and 4 minutes, which both of which are slightly a tease because it would be cooler to go top 10. And according to my uh, GPS device, I was like coming in. I mean, it was just some random arbitrary number, right? Like, why do people pick square hours? Why finish in 7 hours? But there I am, coming into the finish, my... my my garment says 6.58, and I was like, oh, sweet, under seven hours, that's cool. Only to learn that I lost reception here, there, and everywhere, and I think I stopped twice, <laughs> and so there I am finishing 7.04. So both of which are enough to give me reason to come back. I'd like to go top 10, I'd like to go under seven hours, and I think I think the learning curve there is super steep, so I could easily chop off a lot of time and have a better result. Cool. Meanwhile, I won Dirty Kanza. I don't know if you know that about me, John. Which I only bring up because over the course of my 11 hours and 50 minutes, I had 12 untapped packets, four untapped maple waffles, and one pickle. And that's what fueled me to victory. And if you don't believe me, well, that's your Did you have loss. the pickle in your jersey for 11 hours before you ate it? No. So that's... It's such a... It's a cool race because you coordinate. Uh, it's all self-supported, with the exception of three rest stops. At which point, you can have a support staff. And I'm there. I am racing with my phone because literally, I'm like taking pictures of the race. Therefore, I'm coming into the third rest stop. I'm going into the third rest stop, and I'm thinking to myself, "Man, I really want something salty. Like my, I just need a different flavor right now." And uh, so I take my phone out having taken a lot of pictures and I started texting my uh, support staff and I'm like hey get me something salty and thankfully because pickles are delicious they got me a pickle sounds like a really good pickle oh my where, gosh where does that stack up in terms of all time pickles you've ever had mmm oh man flavor I'd give it like a this is an all time scale I'd give it like a 2 out of 10 scale uh, timeliness 11 out of 10 mmm um, I love pickles. I'm not highly selective in the kind of pickle, but like, you know, when you have a really good pickle, then you're like, oh, that was a good pickle. Right. This All was like, oh, I'm still looking for a good pickle. Right. Got it. Duh. Um, so this is a question which I purposely didn't tell you before we started recording because I want the real oh, dang. honest answer. This is a question we ask in all feed interviews. Waffle. Would you rather fight a duck-sized horse or a hundred duck-sized horse? Wait. <laughs> a horse would you rather? Duck. Would you rather fight? All right. Here's the Ted. Here's the question. We ask this to everyone who interviews at the feed. Would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Can I ask qualifying questions? Sure. Are they angry? ducks the Animal all the horses. animals take on their personalities as their that they naturally have oh then for sure i would rather fight the horse-sized duck because ducks are fun and friendly hmm i don't know if you have that right i don't know how much time you spent with ducks but ducks are ducks can be mean well coincidentally i haven't spent a lot of time with ducks Whenever I've seen them, they've been peaceful. But Put that on your list. Say, Put that on your list. Is the hundred horse-sized, I mean duck-sized horses 
because horses are friendly. And that's what I meant to say. I mean, I wasn't trying to guide you into one answer or another. Um, so are you... Well, I'm picturing, like, I think of ducks as relatively friendly. And then if I think getting on the back of a horse is really difficult. But getting on the back of a duck with its slanted back would be actually kind of simple. So... But you, so you think you're going to be riding it while fighting it? Well, well. see, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Like, why would I fight this animal? <laughs> is it angry at me? So you're just switching up the whole paradigm. You're like... That's what we, we came, did with Untapped. We, 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 came, we came for a fight, but here we are hugging. And exactly. now you're... And think about how... Now you're riding a 1,500-pound duck. Do you remember the animal that... Instead of a bike. The cartoon He-Man was on. It was sort of like this pterodactyl dinosaur horse unicorn creature <laughs> i'm picturing that can we get someone to look that up what animal what it's, what it's called did he-man ride so that's that's how you're envisioning yeah your relationship with the the giant duck yeah yeah i think battle cat battle cat, battle cat duh. <laughs> right like i said a pterodactyl <laughs> Wait, does it even fly? <laughs> well, oh. Oh, yeah, it has a helmet. <laughs> he Man. It has it's a similar helmet than, like, to the helmets they wear in Gladiator. Oh, my gosh. I was seeing that outfit reminds me that I was He Man once for Halloween. Do you think you'll ever go as He Man again? Uh, Are you ever going to have abs like that? I don't think I have underwear like that. <laughs> Um, no, most likely not. Okay, I take this back. My recollection was that this animal flew. Yeah. But ducks, eh, I suppose they go and go south and stuff, but they mostly just waddle. Go south, so now you're actually moving in with the duck, going where the duck's going. We're homies at this point. (laughs) All right, Ted, well, I want to thank you for joining us um, on the podcast it was great to chat, and we're looking forward to see what you do next and what Untap does. John, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of really cool things coming down the pipe. Awesome. Oh, well, here's a question. Pipe yeah. or pike? Does it come down the pipe or pike? I think it comes down the pipe, but it could also come down... I mean, you're from New England, so you're thinking about the mass pike. Exactly. Yeah. But I think typically it comes down the pipe. Okay. Well, we're going to have things coming down the pipe and the pike. They will be all natural and delicious. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank awesome. You.